Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Welcome uh, this morning. Uh, I've been, um, it, it's been an interesting week because one of, the, one of the values that we have as a community is to preach through the Bible and to preach the whole counsel of God. And, uh, and so I had the joy last week of talking about money. Yay! Uh, and this week I have the joy uh, because it is God's truth and it is formational um, of talking about some hard sayings of Jesus. Um, there's an amazing book by F.F. Bruce called The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and this is definitely one of them. So I'm going to pray before we start. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your spirit. Um, I want to thank you for your posture towards us. I want to thank you that your posture towards us, whether we are followers or whether we are seekers or whether we are prodigals, uh, is one of love and affection. I want to thank you that the hard things that you say to us are not because you're in a bad mood, um, but because you understand how important and critical it is for us to understand and live in those truths and realities. Uh, I just want to pray this morning that our our hearts would be open, that our knee-jerk reaction to reject, that you would soften that by your spirit. Um, And I I do pray, my God, that, uh, that we would be open to seeing change come. Uh, to us and through us in Jesus' name. So we are in Luke 12, which I can't see at all. Sorry about that. Um, So we're in Luke 12, and um, last week we were talking about, Jesus spoke about a number of critical things. Uh, He spoke about the idea that um, people place their hope in money, or they place their hope in pride, or they place their hope in status, or the idea that they're part of God's chosen nation. Um, And last week, specifically, we spoke about the idea of how money produces two kind of main responses in us, one of of pride in the sense that that I've got everything sorted out, or one of anxiety in terms of what if if things don't happen. Uh, This is a bit of a shift in the narrative in Luke, in that Jesus is now setting his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, He knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. He knows that it is his purpose to die in Jerusalem. He knows, ultimately, that that will lead to the resurrection and to the vanquishing of the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. No one else seems to understand that. Uh, No one else knows or can understand what his purpose is. Everyone has a lot of ideas about what his purpose is, but no one seems to be getting it. Immediately prior to the passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus tells this parable about servants and how these servants were not ready for the return of their master. Uh, And when the master comes back unannounced, uh, that there are consequences to these servants not being ready. It's a harsh parable. 
there are expectations that the master has that were not meant, and there is punishment that is meted out. It's severe and very clear. And, and now Jesus begins to talk in, in very direct and unpopular ways. Um, so now the confusing thing for the people that are listening to him right now is that finally at last he's beginning to speak like the revolutionary people thought he was. Finally right now he's beginning to use the language of conquering and the language of battle and the language of in and out. But he's not using it about the Jewish nation and about the Romans. He's using it about the internal nation of Israel. And so this is confusing to people. And just like the Jews could not make sense of what Jesus was doing and what he was saying because they had expectations of him, so we have expectations of Jesus. And, and sections of scripture like this make us feel very uncomfortable because we've, we've developed a character of Jesus that maybe we are more comfortable with the idea of him being loving and kind. We're more comfortable with the idea of this gracious and humble man, which he is. But the truth intention is that he's also the king of the kingdom. Um, and so this is where we pick up in Luke 12, verse 49. And the passage is from 49 to 59, but I'm going to break it up into three things. Now, I, I want to say this. These are Jesus' actual recorded words. And I'm saying that because there seems to be this deviation um, within the modern church about, let's focus on who Jesus is and what he did and what he said. Um, and the other stuff, particularly the epistles and a lot of the New Testament, is kind of like an addendum and an addition to what he said. Well, I just want to say these are his recorded words. After he tells that parable, he says this, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about the pain and suffering that he's going to have to endure as he moves towards Jerusalem. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I have to say that I don't know that you need Jesus to separate a mother-in-law from a daughter-in-law. You know what I mean? I think maybe in some of those other relationships, there's, there's probably that reason. You know, Karen, I, I'm Greek, as you guys know, you know, Nick the Greek, and that was what that joke was about. So when Karen, when Karen started dating me and, and was realizing the privilege of dating me, you know, she was... <laughs> um, one of the things that, that would happen is she would come to lunch um, after church, and it, it, was, it was already tense, because one of the things that I would say to my mom is, we can come to lunch after we've attended church, and so the lunch would, would have to be delayed, so there was, already a, there was already a bit of a tension there, but it was my, my mother and my grandmother, and um, my mother would her relationship with Karen was very complex. My, my grandma's relationship with Karen was not complex at all. She didn't like her at all. And that was, that was super obvious. Um, and, uh, and so my mother would say things like, is the foreigner coming for lunch? You know? So now, if you're Romanian, you know what I mean? You, you get that. You understand that. You know what I mean? There's this sense of like... And, and she would say that to me in private. And I would say, you cannot say that. She would also say that in Greek when she was there. And so I would, I would be caught in this middle of like, yes, you know, 
by my response, trying not to help Karen understand that. But there was this one, there was this one occasion where, um, where Karen was pregnant, um, and, uh, and she got up from the table, and my, my grandma kind of was sitting next to her, and she patted her on the booty, and she said, you're getting really fat, you know? <laughs> so, now Karen can laugh about that now. Yeah. Now she can laugh about it, you know what I mean? But there was this, there was this distance uh, that was both a language distance, a cultural distance, and, and just the real disappointment that I hadn't married a Greek lady, you know? And, uh, and so one of the things that Jesus is talking about here is not that kind of distance. He's, he's not talking about the idea that sometimes we have preferences that don't work out. He's talking about the idea of being connected with him actually causing conflict with your blood family. Uh, Nick, this is confusing. This is confusing because the beginning of Luke starts with the angels declaring what? Peace on earth. And, and goodwill towards men. Jesus' sermon on the plain and Jesus', Jesus sermon on the mount, what do we remember about him saying? You know, blessed are, are the peacemakers. You know, and so, and so this is confusing. Um, but Jesus expects us to be startled. He, he kind of wants to wake us up. These are serious truths intention, And these connect directly to what John the Baptist said Jesus would be doing. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that Jesus' words and Jesus' actions didn't match the kind of prophecy that John was saying, and there will be an axe, and it will be laid to the root, and there were these strong terms that Jesus was being talked about. In fact, Simeon, when, when Jesus is circumcised, as was the custom, uh, Simeon speaks over Jesus in Luke 2, verse 34, and, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel. And it'll be a sign that generates opposition, so that the innermost thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your inmost being too. Imagine we use that for baby dedications, right? Imagine we use that, that scripture. And, and she's listening to this, having no idea of what is going to happen as her son begins to walk into the ministry that is prepared for him. This paradox is hard to handle. Um, these are the words that an oppressed people are waiting to hear. The Messiah that has come to set us free from the enemy of Rome. But what I'm not ready to hear is that some of the people that are going to be separated from me are the people that are closest to me. I'm not ready to hear that. And so when Jesus speaks that, it becomes very difficult. So this morning, we're just looking at the idea of Jesus' life and message redefines what true peace is and how much it costs. Jesus' life and message redefines what true peace is and what that actually costs. And we will see three things as we go through these scriptures, that they are wrong about Jesus' purpose, that they can't read the signs, and that they don't respond appropriately. Money, power, status, and race have all been exposed by Jesus as false vehicles to be able to reach righteousness and peace with God. And now he begins to expose what is closest to us. Uh, for the people, the first audience that were listening to this, they thought that their main problem was captivity to a nation. This is my greatest issue. Uh, they thought that when, they, when the Israelites were captive in Egypt, and they think that now. But what we don't understand is what our deepest problem is. And just like we've mentioned before, it was easier to get God out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of, I mean, sorry, it was easier for God to get Israel out of Egypt than it was 
for God to get Egypt out of Israel, there are patterns of behavior that stick with us. And so, in, in reality, what God was doing throughout the process of the wilderness and the law and the prophets was helping Israel understand that there is a relationship with God that goes beyond all of these traditions. And what he's saying here is that there is a sense in which we don't understand that your problem is not captivity to Rome, your problem is captivity to sin. Now, I remember my, my daughters used to come and they used to have like a little cut on their hand and say, Dan, my hand is sore. And I, I'd pull out a knife and I'd say, let's just cut it off then, you know. I was kidding, you know. You know? All of you that were born in the 2000s are like trauma, you know, you know, you know. You know, Val's handing out vouchers for therapy, you know. So, like, that's ridiculous, right? I've got a little cut on my hand. The, it's just brutal, ridiculous, abusive to think that cutting off the hand is going to solve that. Um, but the problem is, is that we don't understand how deep our problem is. And so when we look at it that way, we just see it as a little scratch on the end of our, our finger. A definition of peace, who we are at war with, and what needs to be done in order for that peace to be achieved needs to be redefined. Now, we know peace was present because peace was present in the garden. We know that Adam and Eve experienced peace with each other, with God, with this world. They lived in perfect harmony, no pain, no sickness, no death, no war, no disease. And then selfishness, fear, violence, abuse, lack, pain, and disease all entered in the moment where they chose to believe that God was a withholding God. And Jesus came to bring an end to the war in ourselves, the war that we had with God and the war that we had with, with each other. But this is a brutal problem that requires a brutal solution. In Matthew 10 Verse 34, this is the parallel text of what Jesus is saying here. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Now, we know that Jesus didn't bring a physical sword. And we know that because Peter, in all his exuberance, um, when they were at the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, and I got two swords, you know? And then when, when the people come to arrest Jesus, you know, Peter pulls out the sword and he cuts off uh, one, of the, one of the God's ears, and Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing? You know, a lot of people think that, um, that Peter, like, men took out of the air. I think he was just so bad. This is a fisherman with a sword, right? I think he didn't know what he was doing as he pulled the sword out and ended up cutting off someone's ear. But Jesus is saying to him, this is not the way my kingdom is going to come. It's not going to come by the sword. So what is he talking about? Jesus is not talking about method here. He's talking about the outcome. So Jesus didn't bring a sword in the sense of it's, the method of the kingdom coming is not through the sword, but the outcome of the kingdom coming will be like a sword. It will be as if I did bring a sword. There will be no neutrality. A sword cuts and divides. You're in or you're out. You're with me or you're not because a brutal problem of sin requires a brutal solution of someone needing to die and shed their blood. Now, if you have a problem and your foot is gangrious or your hand is gangrious and it is beginning to kind of seep into the rest of your body, what is the solution? It's amputation. So we don't have a little scratch. We have this gangrious issue in our body's souls that unless it is dealt with is going to kill us. 
And so that's what we need to understand. So the severity doesn't sound like Jesus, but Jesus' love for us is so deep that he's saying, I want you to understand how important this is. Now, we are not the focus of Jesus' severity. This is important to understand. You know, Hudson, come stand up here. Okay. I know. See, this is what happens when your dad's a pastor in the church. Just get used to it. Ask my girls. You know what I mean? There we go. Okay. So Hudson is about to step out into the street. Go ahead. Step out into the street. And I grab him because you can sit down now. I grab him. Good job. You know? I grab him because a car is coming. Was that a little intense? Was that a little rough? Was that, you know, not from you, Neil. You know, is that, is it possible that Hudson may feel a little bruised by that? Is it possible that he may feel, what are you doing? This is like, what is happening? But as a parent, you sit down and you say, buddy, there's a car coming. You can't just step out into the road. And when we grab him out of the road, we know that even though it feels like this severity is aimed at Hudson, it's not. The severity is there to be able to protect Hudson from what is about to hit him. The outcome of Jesus' ministry will be bold, dramatic, harsh, and severe to the enemies of the people he loves so much. The enemies, the people that are the focus of his severity are sin, Satan, and death. And that is what he's wanting to rescue us. He's come to obliterate shame and fear and guilt. And now the paradox of Jesus' mission is this, is that these enemies have robbed us of peace. And we're trying to find peace in other ways. And we think that peace is going to be accomplished in a peaceful way. And Jesus is saying, no, this is what peace is going to take. Peace is going to take the strength of someone wielding a sword. Not a physical sword, not a sense of violence. It's, it's, it's funny, even scripture, you know, where, where it says, and the, the kingdom is advancing and violent men take it by force. There's a picture that God is trying to show us that this is not like a war. This is a war for the souls of men and women. This peace requires the death of a former king and the establishment of a new one. And this is the good news and the bad news. The king that has to die is you. The new king that sits on the throne is Jesus. And he is a kind and a gracious and a powerful and a humble king. But two kings can't share a throne. This is not about an insecure, angry God wanting to prove his strength. This is done out of love because he understands what it takes for us to flourish, the best way for us to flourish. And he knows that we settle for counterfeit, plastic, and temporary peace. And the problem with that is he's saying, guys, this is not good for you. Jesus redefines our primary identity. So he's redefining peace. He's redefining our primary identity where he says, whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now we know that Jesus' mother and brothers were not initially believers. We, we, we even know that they were wondering about his mental health. And, you know, when, when they said, you're, you know, your mother and brother are out here and, and, and people are saying that you're, you're out of your mind, we know that there wasn't this connection uh, between Jesus and his humanity bringing brother and sister and, and, um, and son. And so we know that there wasn't this, this connection. Now, this is the challenge that we have, 
is that we are being taught that our blood family is the hub around which we make decisions. It is the purpose and the focus of everything that we do. And Jesus is challenging this. Why is he challenging this? It's not about choice. It's about the proper ordering of the blessings of family and friends. And this is important. Jesus is not saying if you choose me, you choose against your family. What Jesus is saying is there is an order in which the safety of your family is guaranteed. If I am on the throne, then the safety of your family is guaranteed. Now, does that mean everything works out great and is, is hunky-dory and roses? No, but that does mean that if I make the choice, which is an incredibly difficult choice, and trust me when I know there's a lot of pain that has been associated with this idea of kind of abusive church structures that make you choose. Jesus is not saying choose your family or me, but he's saying once you've chosen me, your family fits in as a gospel responsibility because scripture later on tells us that the person who doesn't care for their family is the same as an unbeliever. There is both a cultural, a moral, and a spiritual responsibility that we have towards our family. There is also the sense of our love being towards the family of God and also our family as being something that is representative of the fact that the gospel has penetrated our lives. So this isn't about choice. This is about proper ordering. What Jesus is saying is that if your family becomes a stumbling block or if they become a substitution in your devotion to Jesus, then you need to make a choice about who your king is. Now, I know this is a very, very difficult truth to apply. Your family, your friendships, all of these things are, are temporary and your relationship with God is eternal. But I think the main reason that we don't do this is this, because we don't truly believe that loving Jesus and his church is the best thing we can do for our family. And so what we do is, is, is we, we want to take seriously the mandate that God has given us to love and care for our family. And we believe that the kinds of sacrifices that Jesus is calling us to make in the context of being part of his body are going to be bad for them. And that's why this is such a difficult choice. Jesus is very clear. There is, sorry, that a decision to submit to him will bring conflict. But Jesus has consistently warned us that this will be the truth. Now, when I tried out CrossFit, um, and I did CrossFit for a while. I, I didn't just do it once. Uh, but when I tried out CrossFit, I, I did two things. So I, I tried out CrossFit, and then I tried to go riding with Jeremy. And ri riding with Jeremy was worse. I'll tell you why, okay? I'll, I'll tell you why. This is, this is important. When, when I tried out CrossFit with Neil, Neil said to me this, Nick, this is going to be very difficult. I'll be there with you every step of the way. And we did this workout called Fight Gone Bad, right? So there was no illusion in my mind that what I was about to step into was going to be easy, it was not going to be painful, it was not going to be difficult. But Neil was there saying, you can do this, you can do this, you know? And I did it, not at all Rx, not at all in any way, but, but I did it. The important thing is that Neil kept saying to me, this is going to be hard, okay? Now, when I went riding with Jeremy, he's like, this is gonna be fun, you know? <laughs> I should have had an idea 
Because there are two hills on the Fullerton Loop, and one is called Little Wicked. <laughs> Little Wicked? And the other one is called Heartbreak Hill or something? What's it called? Heart Attack Hill, right? There are two hills that are called Little Wicked and Heart Attack Hill. This is going to be fun, you know? Do you know why I was so angry at Jeremy? <laughs> a lot of reasons, but specifically, <laughs> specifically, he was having so much fun. It was fun for him. He wasn't putting this on because he had done it and he was used to it. And he knew what to expect. And he wouldn't tell me how much longer. Just a little longer. Just a little higher. It would have been so much better if he'd said to me, Nick, this is hard. This is going to be difficult. But I think you can do this. There is no way that Jesus, throughout his life on earth, ever said to us, come to me because this is easy. Come. Your life will never be the same. True you are also going to experience the kind of difficulties that people that haven't chosen this part to life will never experience. But this is the joy. And this, honestly, was the joy with, with Jeremy. He was there. I mean, I've had an experience now that, that I can share with both of these men. And the thing is, it is such a unique thing to step into something knowing that this is going to be difficult. And the most important thing Jesus says is, I am with you. I'm with you in this because I've done every difficult thing that humanity needed to do. And not only that, I've given you the spirit to be able to empower you through these difficult things. And I've also given you the community of faith to be able to assist you in these things. This was so critical for the first century believers who would later literally be torn apart um, in the Roman circus. Uh, they would literally be killed for their faith. There was a sense in which they needed to understand that this thing was real. On Wednesday, we had a prayer meeting, um, and we had a lady from Nigeria talk to us about some of the women that have been kidnapped uh, by Boko Haram. And there's this one lady called Leah Sharub Sharibu. I'm butchering that name. But, but she's been there, I think, what did she say, over four years? And she refuses to leave. She could be reunited with her family. She refuses to leave because she will not denounce Jesus. Um, so there's a sense in which when we look at the kinds of, of issues that we will face following Jesus, it's unlikely we'll face those things. But the reality is we will face the idea of our reputation, our social standing, our opportunities, our comforts, our freedoms. Those things will be affected. Uh, will be unpopular, will be uncool. And this is easier when it's strangers. This is much more difficult when it's our family, when it's our friends, where it's people we want to be with. Second thing they said is they can't read the signs. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? <laughs> um, I have given my daughters the gift of horrible knees. And so, um, and so Fallon said to me the other day, my knees are really sore. I'm like, yeah, it's all this rain. She's like, I'm way too young for that to be happening, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, when it's rainy, we know it's going to rain because my knees are sore. You know, these are, these are the signs that Jesus is talking about. It's like, okay, when, when we see the wind or when we see the sun is in there, it's going to happen. And what he's saying is you guys can read these geographical 
signs, but you can't read the spiritual signs. The Old Testament law and the prophets, they point to me. At the beginning, John said about Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, He's calling them hypocrites because they say one thing and are doing another. They say that they're waiting for the Messiah, but they don't see the signs that Jesus is doing as pointing to the Messiah. They're asking for specific ones. They go to Jesus in the passage before, and they say, if you are the Messiah, do a specific sign. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. This is the sign. The sign will be Jonah. And the fact that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And you're like, thank you very much. That's awesome. What do I do with that? Now we know what to do with that. We're in the same situation. We say we want peace, we want meaning, we want purpose, we want impact in our life, but we want it our way and we want it with the least amount of discomfort. We say we want to be healed, but we don't trust the doctor when he tells us that we're in a bad state. And the solution may look dramatic. How badly do you want to be healed? Some of you know the story when, uh, when Jacqueline was part of the essential oil mafia. And, um, and, I, and I, say, I said to her, I haven't been sleeping, you know. And she said, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried milk. I've tried this. I've tried, you know, all of that kind of stuff. She says, here, this is some essential oils. This will help you sleep. I'm like, great. She says, just rub this on your big toe. I'm, I'm like, Okay. So I took it home. I didn't do it. The next day, she, you know, she says, so how did you sleep? I'm like, you know, Jack, I didn't do it. I, you know, I opened it and it smelled, it smelled like a salad. You know what I mean? So, you know, <laughs> so she says to me, well, okay, how badly do you want to sleep? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I tried it. I was desperate. You know, I didn't sleep. I just smelled like a salad, <laughs> you know, the next morning. The thing about this is that, is that if we are desperate, we will try any solution, and we will smell like a salad dressing. But if we're not, we look at the solution and we say, I think that's a little too intense for me. I'll, I think I'll take it from here. Do you guys remember the woman at Simon the Pharisee's house who walked in with that bottle of perfume? Does she sound like someone who is hedging her bets? Does she sound like someone who was like, I think this might work. She was someone who rested her income and reputation, and and this is the critical thing, she did not know if she would be received by Jesus. She didn't, because she'd been rejected by every other power figure in her life. And so she comes into the situation, she says, I know my state. This is all my money, this is all my reputation. And Jesus says to Simon, that this is what true faith is. Jesus talks about the man who found a pearl of great price and sold everything. He talks about another person who found this, this field and sold everything for it. Because once we understand the value of it, no sacrifice is too high when we understand the prize. If we want true eternal peace, then we need to recognize that Jesus himself is our peace. C.S. Lewis says that God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And this is important. Peace does not just come through Jesus. True peace is Jesus. That means that it isn't just what he's done, which it is, but it's who he is. 
So this is not something that we pass through Jesus in, in the sense of saying, okay, I have faith in Jesus, I accept that what he did on the cross paid for my sin, and I now enter the new family of God. That is essential, it is purposeful, yes. But true peace is when we get to walk with him every single day, which is his promise to us. Jesus is our peace. In Ephesians 2 verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you remember the paradox that we said? How can you bring peace in a violent way? How do you kill hostility? It seems paradoxical, but you have to do it. He came and preached peace to those who were far off, us the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near the Jewish nation. Jesus is our peace. We were separated from the Father, and He invited us into the family of God. Separated from the Father was Jesus. My God, my God on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken for a moment so that we could enter the Trinity in that fracture of time where Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all of our sin and shame and guilt and pain was heaped on him in that moment. He is our peace. This is not alignment to a theological principle or an ideology. This is saying I want to enter a relationship, a tangible relationship with the risen King Jesus. That's what peace is. He made peace. Romans 5 Verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He made restitution for us. He paid the price that damaged us within the context of sin. He paid that price. It was a necessary price for us to be able to walk into complete, free relationship with the Father. The peace that Jesus made was to repair that which was broken and to restore that which was missing. And it was not cheap and easy. Therefore, following Jesus is not cheap and easy. Someone said the gospel is easy to understand and difficult to apply. And it is. His peace is potent. Romans 16 verse 20 says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, remember this is the image we have, the God of peace. No, the God of peace. Peace is a strong thing. Peace is potent. The God of peace will crush Satan under whose feet? Under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and though the final victory will be consummated when Jesus returns, Jesus modeled and gave us authority now so that we can expect things to be different now. You look at what happened with Neil and Jack. What happened with Neil and Jack is not a reward for their faithfulness, though they have been faithful and though they have been sacrificial. What happened with Neil and Jack is God saying, I'm going to show you who I am. What happened to Neil and Jack, for the other woman who, who actually left $40,000 on the table, saying, be generous. Who does that? 
Who leaves $40,000 on the table? You know what? God is so kind that he'll use those moments to remind us. Because you guys know Jack and Neil have gone through difficult times where this is very, very true. Even to the point of like saying between father and son. This is God's kindness. And this is God saying the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Peace is active. It is intentional. It is powerful. Peacemakers have to be strong. Peacekeepers aren't strong. Peacemakers come into a situation and say, the reason that there isn't peace here is because these things need to change. A peace, peacekeeper just says, everyone, just be nice. Everyone, let's just avoid conflict and everything will be fine. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of God, not the peacekeepers. When you're a peacekeeper, you often have to give um, some kind of negotiated settlement that no one is happy with. But a peacemaker says, this is what brings peace. And Jesus is our peace. He has made peace. He brings potent peace. And he does this with his sword. Hebrews 4 verse 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. For He, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Knowing that we have the Word of God, knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells inside us, knowing that we have a community of believers around us, and knowing that nothing will ultimately frustrate the purposes of a sovereign God means that the unveiling, His unveiled face gives me peace. Finally, His peace is protective. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard or garrison or create a siege around your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Why do we need this kind of peace? We need this kind of peace because in the midst of difficult decisions that we make on behalf of the kingdom, we need to know that our minds and hearts are being guarded. We need to hear that voice gather us and say, shh, I know you don't understand how this will be okay, but this will be okay. I am the God of all peace. We need the garrison around our hearts and minds because in the midst of our pain and despair, where we've been hurt misunderstood by people because we want to make decisions for Jesus, not because we're jerks, but because we want to make decisions for Jesus. We've been hurt, we've been isolated, we've been separated from people that we love and care about. We need to hear the voice of, the God, of our God say, shh, my peace will garrison your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We need that peace when we face an uncertain present or future. The peace of God is guarding my heart. Band, you can come up. Lastly, we know that they don't respond appropriately. We know this. Jesus says in verse 57, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, you make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. What Jesus is saying, there's, there's this parable where, where you have a debt to pay, and, and instead of going to court, 
so that we can figure out who it is. Go to the person who's, who you owe the money to and say, let's settle this account. He says, because this account will have to be settled. And what we do know is that there is a debt to be paid. And the bad news is, is this, this debt is greater than we could ever pay. Now, the good news is that the severe problem of a debt that we could not pay has a severe solution, which is Jesus saying, I will pay that debt. If you're a seeker, I want to ask you the question, what are the barriers that are preventing you from asking Jesus to settle the debt that you couldn't pay? What sin have you committed that you believe is too atrocious for God to forgive you? Nothing. There is nothing. Let me tell you that without question. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot, wash, cannot wipe clean. And this invitation to place your faith in Jesus, to have your debt cleared, to be confident in the day of coming judgment which will come. What do you need to let go of to lay hold of him? Paul says in a later letter that I let go of everything so that I may lay hold of him who laid hold of me. What pain have you experienced through the church or through Christians or through your family that is preventing you from coming to Jesus for healing? I'm saying, Jesus, I need this peace. If you're a Christ follower, this is the difficult question. What or who do I love more than Jesus? I'm going to give you the answer that is true for everyone. Me. I love me more than I love Jesus. Now, it may look different. It may look different in the area of finances, in the area of family, but it's all a camouflage to actually say this. I think I still love me more than I love Jesus. I still think I'm sitting on that throne more than Jesus is. And when Jesus asks me to do these difficult things, I don't believe that it's going to be good for me. That's why we don't make those choices. Maybe you hear and you understand that allegiance to Jesus will mean these difficult choices. And you're afraid. You're afraid, God, if I maintain the standard you've called me to maintain, I'm going to be single forever. God, if I keep crying out for a child, I'm never going to give this for me. I'm never going to change this job. I'm always going to be in difficulty. Do I really believe that if I seek first the kingdom of God, that he will add these things to me? I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get everything your heart desires because I don't know whether your desires have been purified by the grace of God. But I can tell you this. The disciples didn't know either. And I want to invite you to say the same thing that the disciples did when it comes to this. God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. God, I want to believe that you can offer a peace that a marriage partner can't. I want to believe that you can offer peace that money in the bank can't. I want to believe that you can offer peace that I don't ruffle anyone's feathers when, when we talk about important things. God, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come before you, and, we, and that is our prayer. For those of us that walk with you, we do believe, but we say, help us in our unbelief. We hear the words that you spoke to Peter when many people left you, and when you said to him, do you want to leave also? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? God, this is hard and difficult. And I want to thank you 
that you never promised it would be easy, but you always promised you would be with us. Spirit of God, won't you minister to us as we allow the word to take root in our hearts? Just, uh, just thinking about the reality of, uh, as, as Nick was preaching, the reality of the gift of repentance, uh, that there's just parts of our hearts and our minds that if you, if, if you know Jesus and you've been walking with Jesus, that there's parts of your heart and your mind that is kind of can, can be a little tentative to accepting uh, what he has to say. And I really believe that, that the Lord is here this morning and, um, and is stirring in your own heart and your own mind places in your heart where maybe you've kind of kind of stiff-armed the Lord to keep him at a distance, and he's highlighting that for you, and it's a tremendous opportunity. The idea of repentance is literally like letting go of that strategy and turning around and agreeing with, agreeing with what God's saying to you, and um, we're going to have an opportunity to do that before we take, uh, b- before we take communion. Um, and then I also think that there's maybe a, a second group of people here that... Um, are maybe uh, fearful of the discomfort that comes with discipleship. Um, and uh, the reality is God is really kind and really good. And the things that he brings, the challenges that he brings, it is for our good. And he is inviting us in to, to, to that. And um, yeah, he's inviting us in when we're fearful. Um, to experience growth, to experience life and vitality, to experience the goodness and the fullness of the kingdom. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.